Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Oh, Becky, is this really happening? I know. Oh my gosh, you guys. Kiva is here on the show today. We are beyond psyched. I mean, this was probably my first nonprofit crush, Kiva. I remember discovering it in the (laughs) early 2000s of like, how could something so incredible exist? And is pushing the sector from the technology perspective, but also from the beginning, threading storytelling and empathy on a global level. And they've done that really well for a really long time. And in fact, this last year was their biggest year ever. We're talking Kiva, who gave out $224 million in loans, microfinance loans last year. So it is our huge honor to have the man behind Kiva right now, Mr. Chris Sakalakis on the podcast. He's the CEO of Kiva, but has an incredible journey that I hope he threads into this conversation today because he has had his own impressive career where he was the CEO of Avino, the world's largest online wine marketplace. But he also served as the president of StubHub, a little organization you may have heard of. Thank you for those concert tickets and sporting tickets. I really appreciate it, Chris. But Chris, you know, has had this business acumen. He's led these incredible corporations, but he has decided to channel his passion for good as he stepped into Lead Kiva last year. He comes from an incredible, you know, background where he got his bachelor's in economics from the Wharton School. So we know that his pedigree is, you know, top notch over here today. But today we're going to bask in everything crowdfunding, really unpacking what this love that Gen Z really has for this, but just talk to an expert in the field that's going to thread together you know, how does business principles really apply and push us in the nonprofit sector to dream bigger and innovate more? And so, Chris, it is our honor and honestly, huge imposter syndrome to say welcome to the podcast today. <laughs> totally. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, John and Becky. It's great to meet you guys and I uh, appreciate your your interest in Kiva. Yeah, well, we appreciate you being here. We'd love to just get to know your story. You know, tell us a little bit about growing up, what channeled your passion, and then talk about your transition over to Kiva last year. Yeah, so I grew up in suburban Chicago. Uh, my parents both emigrated to the United States from Greece just before I was born. So I grew up in a household where we spoke a lot of Greek. Um, we ate a lot of food. Uh, and um, I saw my parents live out the American dream. Uh, my, my dad uh, was an electric, electrician, had his own store in Greece. But when he came to the U.S., he really had nothing. He had to start from scratch. So he was a laborer at a steel mill at first and then did maintenance work, uh, eventually found his way into the electrical union, the uh, International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. And, you know, he, he, he became an apprentice again in his 20s. And then he was he became a journeyman and then he had his own business. And when he started his business, he got a line of credit from the local bank and he used that to build his business. My brother and I worked for him many, many summers and weekends. And by building that business, he then started to take out loans to do small real estate development, small little shopping centers, strip malls type of thing. And that's what he was able to do. And because of that work, he was able to send you know his three kids to college. And my brothers and I were the first in our family to finish high school, let alone go to college. So that's, that's the story that I came up from and the inspiration that I have. And 
part of their story, part of my, my parents' story, part of my dad's story was access to capital. That when he wanted to build a business, when he wanted to start investing in real estate, he had a local bank, Bridgeview Bank, that would uh, give him money, give him loans. And it ended up being a very good relationship on both sides. And my dad always said to us, you got to spend money to make money. Money makes the world go around. Those are the things that he taught to us. And those are the things that he learned by being an entrepreneur in the United States. The irony of the full circle nature of your dad's story to what you're doing right now is just so heartening. And I I love it very much. And I have to tell you, I feel like this is maybe my third or fourth time I've prefaced a story with this, but John came into my office one day about 15 years ago and he said, I got to show you something. And he pulled up Kiva for me and he said, and he explained what it is. And of course he's showing me the marketing and immediately, you know, I set up my account and I end up loving the fact that I can pick the person that I'm going to benefit. And even if I, I mean, however many years later, here I am. And the irony of the fact that I supported a rural uh, Ugandan tea farmer, who a 55-year-old man with my first Kiva loan um, is so acute to me because we now have a beloved member of our community now who's very active in We Are For Good, Simon Karanda. Hi, Simon, who is in rural Uganda providing microfinance loans to women specifically wow. because he understands that in his village that women, once they get their businesses up and running, it creates a very systemic effect. And so I'm kind of having my deja vu as well as I'm going through the fact that you all have been doing this for so long. You had this vision before anybody else, but I want to take it back a little bit for people who may not know Kiva, like explain your wonderful mission to us and what is the history and what makes you all so unique? Uh, I'm happy to do that. I just want to be clear. I'm not going to take credit for Kiva's uh, awesome history. I, I only joined in April. So I, I want to be clear that I I stand on the, all the hard work of, of many dedicated people who made Kiva happen over the years. So Kiva started in 2005. The idea was to take this innovation of micro lending, micro loans, where you give a small loan to, to someone uh, and support them and couple that with technology, use technology to really accelerate and augment the amount of micro lending you can do. So Kiva was one of the first platforms to do crowdfunding, the, the idea of taking in money from lots of individuals to fund a loan. Uh, so if you come to kiva.org, you can lend as little as $25, and that's that would contribute towards a $500 loan, let's say, and a bunch of other people would contribute that $25. So essentially, Kiva took one innovation, micro-lending, and coupled it with another innovation that we think we created uh, called crowdfunding, and that's what Kiva has done. And so since our start, starting in 2005, the Kiva platform has uh, helped to fund $1.7 billion worth of loans to over 4.2 million borrowers in 76 countries. I mean, what a humbling level of impact. And I feel like, you know, it comes back and it kind of threads to the bigger story that it's about unlocking capital, you know, for underserved populations and just the financial services discrepancies that are felt worldwide. Could you kind of speak to, you know, what does this unlock for the families that y'all fund? And I think it's interesting. Your story was laced with like this bank that had this relationship with your dad. That's right. just the infrastructure is not there or it's not even possible. Right. So mm -hmm. what does this unlock and what does it mean for the average person that's getting this loan? 
Yeah. So my dad had Bridgeview Bank, for, but for most people, they, they don't have that financial resource available to them. There are 1.7 billion people around the world who are unbanked or underserved financially. And Kiva really exists to provide access to financial services, to capital, to money, to the people who ordinarily wouldn't be able to. So the way that we think of ourselves and part of the reason we're a nonprofit is we fill in the gaps in the financial system. The entry level in the financial system where people can't get a hand on the rung of the ladder. They, they can't even jump up to it. So we, we're trying to give them a hand up so that they can start with a loan from Kiva and through that can start to move up in the sort of financial scale uh, and have access to sort of standard banks that are out there. John, can you even imagine, like I'm having to rewire my brain right now, how you would have to adapt your life if you did not have a bank, if you didn't have a credit card, if you didn't, I mean, the things that we just take for granted that are built in structures in first world countries, I just, I, I applaud you and your team and historically everyone who's had this vision that's been carrying it forward and poured into it at any point in Kiva, because it is such a progressive and inclusive way of looking at lifting others because we know that thriving businesses are going to make thriving communities. They're going to make more vibrant human beings. They're going to make richer families. And so the ripple effect of this, and I love that you backed the train all the way up in areas that, frankly, I just have so much privilege I didn't even understand. So thank you for educating us about that. I'm really curious about how your past experiences in the tech space influence this approach to philanthropy and leadership um, that you're experiencing right now? And how could listeners kind of apply these lessons learned that you've seen over on the for-profit side that are translating now for Kiva? Yeah. So this is my first time running a nonprofit. Um, Welcome. We're the- glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you. My previous experience with philanthropy was really as a, as a board member and volunteer with American Heart Association. And early on in my career, had a small startup that sold charity auction services, but we won't go into that because that's too long of a story. <laughs> um, but what I, what I see is, and, and the whole idea behind Kiva was let's apply technology and the ideas behind technology to this sector in order to maximize the impact that, that we have. So one of the founding board members of Kiva is Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn. Wow. Uh, and most of my board are, are people in the tech industry. Some of them also have experience in microfinance. But the idea behind it is let's use technology to really accelerate the impact that we have, to maximize the impact that we have. So fundamentally, Kiva.org is a marketplace. It's a place where we connect one side that has money and one side that needs money. Let's put it that way as simply as possible. So eBay, where I worked before, is a marketplace. StubHub, where I was president for eight years, is a marketplace. So instead of having buyers and sellers, we have lenders and borrowers or investors and entrepreneurs because the people who come to Kiva are coming to invest in their fellow human beings. They're coming to invest Mm -hmm. in humanity one person at a time. Like you said, they can pick every single borrower that they want to uh, lend money to, and all of the money that they put into Kiva for that loan goes to that person, goes for that loan. We ask separately for a donation to pay for Kiva's operating costs. So unlike a lot of charities where you, you put money in, you don't know exactly where it goes on Kiva, you know that your money is going directly towards that loan. But getting back to your question about technology, the idea here is on the marketplace side of things like, is how do we 
make sure that we have a product experience and a marketing experience that brings in as many new lenders and as many as much new money as possible. And that means really understanding who your customers are. That means having a seamless product experience. That means ultimately spending some money on marketing. We don't spend a lot right now because we're still experimenting and building out a new product experience on Kiva. But all of those factors that make it engaging to use Twitter or to use your favorite game, there, there are elements of those things or to go to you know, to either to Amazon or, or some other marketplace, all of those elements are the ones that we're starting to to build into this new product experience at, at Kiva. John, you're geeking out. I can tell. Oh, I'm, I'm completely this is geeking so out. your jam. And to have Reed Hoffman on the board, I mean, he's like one of the legends in my book. I mean, you don't see the walls. And I think that's in the short time that we've spent with you, I think that's a benefit of you coming in that you've seen the power of marketplaces and what they do to empower people and and how technology can power that in a really unique way. And you have Kiva that's been doing this to a huge degree for the last 15 plus years. So, I mean, speak to us about the future of philanthropy, because for you, it probably doesn't intimidate you (laughs) because you've been in this space, but we're talking to nonprofits that need to take that first brave step into embracing technology. Where do we start? You know, where do you encourage somebody to start with innovating in this space, especially around software and kind of the movement that way? I'm going to say something that's going to sound really dumb, but start by having a website. Um, what I found <laughs> with the pandemic was I had a bunch of local businesses say, Hey, we, we created our own e-commerce site for the first time. I've been in e-commerce since 96. So someone telling me in 2020 that they're creating their first e-commerce site it literally blew my mind. So start with the basics. You don't need to necessarily do everything online or have your entire organization run online the way that we do. Kiva is very much an online organization, online business, despite the fact that we're a nonprofit. Anyone who gives has to know about your organization, right, as a nonprofit. So it starts with how do they get information? Everyone gets information through the internet. So you have to manage your reputation. You have to have a website. You have to have a way for for people to engage and to find information. Often nonprofits have treasure troves of information that they share. You know, a site like uh, NAMI, the National Association for Mental Illness, has huge resources. So in tech speak, that's that's great for SEO. It's great for search engine optimization. Uh, so put that information out there. People want it. They want to be able to get to it and access it. It's a way to let them in and to understand the work that you're doing. So obviously take donations online. We see some of our colleagues taking cryptocurrency donations online. You know, there are things like that you can do. But ultimately, I think innovation doesn't have to be just about technology. It's really about doing things differently. And to do things differently, you really need to understand your customer and what you're trying to solve for them. For us, you know, our main customer are the borrowers. The Kiva exists in order to help people in the world get access to capital. That's why we exist. But the money that they get comes through lenders. So we really have to understand lenders, what they're looking for, what they want, where they get information. And we're using that information, the research that we're doing with those folks to create different ways of presenting ourselves, different product experience, those types of things. And and those broad principles can be applied to, to any organization, whether or not it's a nonprofit. Hey friends, we've got to pause the podcast for a minute. We have some really exciting news to share. Yeah, we're partnering up with our friends at Virtuous to co-host this year's free responsive nonprofit summit on April 20th and 21st. And we want to see you there. 
So come and join thousands of like-minded, forward-thinking nonprofit leaders for two days of fresh insights, helpful workshops, and genuine conversations as we gather virtually from wherever you find yourself in the world. We're curating some amazing panels to help you build better systems and strategies to help you grow your impact. You may even recognize some of our past podcast guests and favorite thought leaders too. Okay, so can we count you in? To join us at the Responsive Nonprofit Summit, visit virtuous.org slash good and register for free. Hey friends, after meeting some of the most visionary leaders and world changers in the nonprofit sector today, we realize they all have one thing in common. They invest in themselves and their teams so they can stay relevant to what's working now to succeed and scale their missions. You know us, we believe education's for all, and that's when we created We Are For Good Pro. Pro is reimagining nonprofit professional development, giving you access to incredible live coaching events with some of the best thought leaders like Kishana Palmer, Lynn Wester, and more. Imagine being able to work through your challenges in real time. That's the power of Pro. Every week, we host a new workshop giving you the playbook and tools to take immediate action, build your confidence, and grow your impact. Be the pro and get started today with a 14-day free trial. Head over to weareforgoodpro.com slash free. Okay, let's get back to this amazing conversation. Some of the themes I just keep hearing you say is just this constant innovation and always listening and you're, you're staying so in touch with the moment. And I think I'm not at all surprised that you were sort of in beta and, and launch crowdsourcing as an actual method to gather community and to fundraise. And so I would love to just kind of talk about how you're using that future focus lens that is just innate to Kiva to reach this next generation of givers. What, what are you doing with Gen Z? I mean, you're already leveraging this crowdsourcing, which is absolutely brilliant. Talk to us about Gen Z and how you're bringing them in to this discussion because they're so already so hardwired and aligned with what you're doing. They seem like such a great avatar for you to actually target moving in and probably Generation Alpha too, I would guess. Yeah. So because Kiva's been around since 2005, we have a core group of lenders who look more like me, a middle-aged white man, than uh, than the Gen Zers are out there. So we started asking ourselves, how can we start attracting this younger generation? We've done a bunch of research, and what we found were a couple of things. One is the idea of being able to put your money where your mouth is, to actually enable social impact, not just tweet about it or post about it on Instagram. That's pretty powerful. We all want to change the world, but it's hard to know how to do that. And doing it in a group, on a platform where we can show historically we've made real impact, that's a pretty powerful proposition. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we found is that those younger generations are really interested in specific causes. They really care about specific things. One one area, of course, is sustainability and climate change. That's true actually across all generations. Uh, that's probably the number one cause that people are concerned about. But there are others, of course. For us, it's gender equity. 80% of the loans on Kiva go to women. Agriculture is a big sector. So there, there are many causes. And if you go to Kiva.org, you can actually look for loans based on the cause that you're most interested in. The, the last aspect of it is making it easy. So the traditional way of going to Kiva is, as you said, Becky, you kind of read these borrower stories and you kind of pick one borrower at a time. And, and lots of people like doing it that way. But we also have a solution where if you decide, hey, I'm really interested in this cause, we can start matching borrowers to the cause and we can start auto lending. We can essentially pick the loans for you and make it easy for you 
to do it one time or to do it on a monthly basis. So we have a subscription service called Monthly Good that allows you to say, hey, I can put in $5 a month or $25 a month, and I'm interested in these causes, and Kiva will then automatically match your cause and your dollars to the loans that, uh, that, that make the most sense. And that's a way for anyone to be able to easily contribute and, and, and invest in their fellow human beings. Wow. Yeah, it's just so smart because, I mean, we haven't even talked about this aspect of how Kiva is unique, but the whole repayment process. I mean, I remember the first time I got the notification that you've been repaid for your loan back in probably, it probably was 2005. It was really early on. It is a, such a disruptive platform because I've got to imagine the repayment rate I see online is 97%. I mean, compared to any other loan, that is just through the roof, right? Certainly compared to... Uh, I think you know loans in the U.S. that are for for people who are underserved have more like a seventy percent repayment rate. Yeah, so I think it speaks to this the culture and gratitude that's just in this space, but also like how cool is the culture of givers? You know, the people that choose to put this autopilot investment happening. And I mean, I love that disruptive nature that y'all created with that. What what was kind of your mindsets, philosophies behind launching a program like that? Because I do think some would challenge that it's like putting it on autopilot? Are you taking some of the decision-making out? But I think it's so smart because it's meeting the moment. Yeah. So the idea behind monthly subscription was just to make it easier for you to do good. That's all. Yeah. Um, and one aspect of engaging and understanding who you're helping and really understanding the impact of your loan is to pick each borrower up front, which a lot of people want to do. And that's, that's great. But not everyone has the time or wants to do it that way. So for those people and and for everyone else, it's really saying, okay, when that repayment is made is really telling them the story. So what happened to my loan? No one comes to Kiva to make money. The lenders get 0% interest and the repayment rate, as you said, is like 96, 97%. So effectively they get a negative 4% interest on their loan. So they're, they're not doing it to make money. They're doing it to help humanity. And so what we want to do for all of our lenders is to tell them the stories of these borrowers. Here's what happened. Not just that they repaid the loan, but here's what they did with the money. Here's how it changed their lives. Because that's what we're all about. We're doing this to help improve people's lives. I just want to compliment you because I think it was so forward thinking of you to really hone in on Gen Z. And I feel like you nailed them very, it, like you just nailed who they are and what their motivations are just by starting giving very early and getting that gift in their budget at a very small price point gets them going. I have to speak to the level of trust that they must have in you to get, to allow you to relinquish control and say, you make the decision, Kiva, I trust you. You put this where you think it's gonna, going to help most. But I'm curious about the storytelling piece. Tell me how you're going in on the back end. And, and, and I would love just even a personal example, if you have one of how this is helping, how have you seen this play out and change someone's life on the other side of the world? And how have you taken that story and come back to the donor? Cause I would think if I saw something like that, even at 25, I would think, oh my gosh, I've got to replicate that feeling. I definitely want to keep giving, but maybe I'll give a little bit more because I'd like to help another person. I can just see the compounding nature of it. Love to hear your thoughts on storytelling. Yeah. I mean, the stories of our borrowers are why people come to Kiva. Um, it's, it's what you saw when you picked your first uh, loan on Kiva, uh, Becky. So 
for every loan that's on Piva, there's a photo and there's a short story about what who this borrower is and what they're going to use the money for. This is a woman in Tajikistan who wants to improve her pigsty because she's raising pigs. It is uh, a woman in Zimbabwe who wants to start a bakery and she wants to take her love of making food and actually make it into a business. It's a 16-year-old in the United States who wants to start a cupcake business as a way to give back to her community. There's stories like that. And we have that kind of brief story for each of these borrowers. When you come to Kiva, you have an explanation of what they're going to use the money for, why they need the money. Uh, what we're trying to do a better job of is telling the after story, what happens after the loan is paid and what's happened. So traditionally, our field partners have captured these stories, taken a photograph or in a, sm- a short paragraph about each of the borrowers. But now we're, we're experimenting with new ways to capture these stories, sending people out into the field to do video, to do longer form interviews. And we're trying to, we're starting to build that into our marketing and what we're doing on the site so that the stories are more rich, that you get more detail. Because when we show these stories to people, they're like, this is great, but tell me more. They, they don't say that it's too long. They, they want to know more of the detail. They want to know what's going on. Because again, it, it's about human connection. We are connecting one lender at a time to one borrower at a time. And each of those lenders wants to know, did I help? Did I, did I help this person's life? That's all I really care about. Well, I think, I mean, when you talk about these stories, your face lights up. I mean, I love that this next chapter of your life moving from probably the really fast paced tech world and all these acquisitions and big things happening. This, what does this last year look like for you personally to step into a role that's so human, so empathetic and in a time like this that we could bring the world together, you know, in a divisive time in our own country, what does it look like for you stepping into this? It's been really great the last 10 months. With COVID, I, I haven't been able to talk to and connect with as many borrowers and partners as I'd like to. But the great thing about Kiva is we have, when I ask employees what, what are the top three things they like about Kiva, every single person I talk to says one of three things. It's the mission, it's the people, it's the culture. And those are all kind of brought together because people come here for the mission, the mission of financial inclusion to help the financially underserved. And that attracts really great people, high quality people. And because of that, uh, because of their connection to the mission, because of their dedication to the mission, the culture is one of figuring it out, figuring out problems, getting things done. And so that's been a really great thing to step into and to be the beneficiary of all the great work that preceded me in the last 15 years. The other piece of it is Frankly, there's a lot of basic CEO work that happens at any company. So it's <laughs> assessing the team and looking at the goals and making sure they're connected and make sure people are connected. But the number one reason people are here, it's really for the mission. And putting that front and center makes it a lot more interesting than selling wine or tickets like I did before. I think the thread that is so common in all of this is just this this desire to help humanity. I just keep hearing, I want to help. I want to, I want to help another human. And I, I love that we don't know each other, but we see struggle and we want to affect change through our philanthropy. And, and I don't bring this up because I feel like sometimes it's trite, but in this instance, it seems kind of poignant, you know, that philanthropy means the love of mankind and the fact that That's you right. have wrapped 
your entire mission and culture. I think the culture piece is actually really interesting because if you can have such a vibrant culture, you're going to attract the most brilliant minds, the most progressive thought leaders, the, the best innovators. We want Kiva to have the greatest tech and storytelling because the more that you scale, the more you're helping people. And so I just really commend you all. I just think this is an extraordinary organization. And I just think about your lived experience from growing up as, you know, this little boy in Chicago working with your dad to now. Tell me about a story of philanthropy that you feel like has changed you or left some kind of an indelible imprint on your life. In my mind, the borrowers that we have, those entrepreneurs, all they want to do is make a better life for themselves and their families. I see them in the same way I saw my parents. They have the same ideal. And so it's that the kind of universality of that desire and the necessity of needing some money to be able to do that. What's interesting to me beyond that is that we have lenders that come from all over also. So initially when I joined, I said, okay, I've worked at businesses where we take money that the buyers are people who have a lot of disposable income. And so I came in with this assumption like people on Kiva, the lenders on Kiva are rich. And that's not true. They are rich in spirit. They're rich in this love of humanity, but they come from all over and they have different experiences. We had one guy we spoke to who had been in the Peace Corps in Tajikistan. And so all of his loans went to people in Tajikistan. It was an American guy, but he had this huge connection with that country and the time that he spent there. And he was so grateful for the time that he spent there. That That's what it was about. And we had a, another guy who was in the UK. You know, this is just a kid, like a young kid. He wasn't making a lot of money, but he was saying like he would wait to get a loan repayment and they maybe put another $5 in in order to, to fund a loan. And he was really oh. interested in doing that. And this is not a type of person who had a lot of money to spare, but he, he had a lot of heart. He had a lot of love for his fellow human beings. And that to me is probably the most interesting piece that I've discovered in the last year. Uh, obviously, the borrower stories are really, really powerful. But on the lender side, it, it's this mix of people. It's not just folks who have a lot of money. It's, it's, it's really people who have a lot of love. Well, that was beautiful. And I mean, I think it supports everything that we believe and talk about on this podcast too. That's not just about the money. It's about believers and galvanizing that support. And that's how we're going to create the worldwide impact is getting everybody seen and plugged into whatever level that they can do. Okay, Chris, I don't want to ask this because this is our last question. So I start to get really sad that our time's wrapping up, but what's one good thing? You know, we ask all of our guests kind of distill down what's a mantra that's been really true to your life, or maybe it's a life hack or something that you want to leave a piece of advice for us. My advice to every entrepreneur and really anyone who's, who's working in business is secure your mask before helping others. It's what they tell you on a plane when the oxygen masks come down, you, you yeah. need to secure your mask before you try to help anyone else. And by that, I mean, you got to take care of yourself physically, mentally, uh, yourself and your family. I always say, and I, I I tell the people here this, and I, I said, uh, Vivino, too, your family and your your health and your family come first. Because if you don't have that, frankly, you can't work. Those are the number one things. Like You got to take care of yourself. And I, and I think when you do that, when you're in the right mindset, when, you, when you're physically and mentally well, and you're not worrying about your family, then you can excel as a leader. But if you don't have those things, you can't even be a good leader, let alone a great leader. So one of the things that I do is I block my schedule uh, every day 
uh, in the morning and in the evening. Mornings are for workouts and the evenings are for time with my family. And I, I just make that a priority. I, I have to tell you, I don't know that I would have agreed with that five years ago before I had had sort of my own mental health crisis and then watched the effects of the pandemic. But I have to tell you, that is absolutely true. And I think it was even Melinda Gates that said, like, your family is only as healthy as the one who's doing, who's struggling the most. And so if everybody's vibrant in your community or in your family, everything around you seems to be in more harmony. So I think that was excellent advice. Um, It's not a selfish inclination, friends, to secure your mask first, because we need you healthy and well to be able to do this really tough work that we do in our missions and in social impact. So, okay, Chris, tell everybody how they can sign up with Kiva, how they connect with you, any special programs and where you are on social media. Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to join the 2 million borrowers that have uh, invested $1.7 billion in their fellow humans, please come to kiva.org. That's K-I-V-A dot O-R-G. Pick a cause or just start looking for borrowers based on what you're interested in. Maybe you're interested in a certain part of the world. Maybe you're interested in certain uh, types of loans that go to climate change or agriculture. Uh, You can do all of that at kiva.org. You can do kind of one set of loans or you can sign up for a monthly good subscription program, which allows you to give as little as $5 a month uh, and then have that tied to the causes that you care about so that your uh, loans get funded based on those causes. So that's the easiest place to find us. Wonderful. Awesome. Come join John and I. We're over there on Kiva and we we really yeah. like it over there. It's human, it's warm, and you find like-minded people who care about the same things that you do. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you both. I really enjoyed this and uh, I wish you both well. Thanks for joining us. Today's episode was brought to you by our good friends at Auth0. With Auth0, your nonprofit can do more with a login box. Greet prospects and rabid fans of your mission with authenticity. Simply make it easier for your team to manage data. There's so much that Auth0 login experience can do. Visit auth0.org for more info. If you enjoyed this episode, we know you'll love being part of the We Are For Good community. It's like our own social network where you can find like-minded friends, ask questions, share resources, and find inspiration anytime. Sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. Thanks, friends. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.